Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, my name is Brian Hayworth. I am the co-managing partner of Lansdowne Partners and welcome to the Inspiring Leadership Show hosted by my friend Jonathan Bowman-Perks. Thank you very much indeed, Brian. It's great to have you on the series. Uh, you're on for a number of reasons. Firstly, that we know each other, we've become friends over the years, but secondly, that number of people spoke about you in very endearing terms as, as an inspiring leader. And that's the people that uh, people are interested in hearing from who have humanity, humility and humor. And you do, you have a lovely sense of self-deprecating humor without taking it too far. Brian, you've done a whole range of different things, become the co-managing partner at Lansdowne Partners in the last three months. Congratulations, it's early days. You had a very successful career in HSBC as well. Um, Let's, let's take you back to, to childhood, the, the upbringing of the man who you now are, um, you become. You went to Winchester, which is a great school, but, but as you were growing up, who was it that influenced you and set the values, the foundational values you live by that, that uh, are so important to you and make you the man you are? Well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here, Jonathan. Um, so look, I am... Um, Going back to my childhood is a, a long time ago. I was born in 65 at a fairly sort of traditional middle class upbringing, um, brought up in Lancashire. Uh, I'm a mad Burnley football club fan as a result. And yeah, my dad was an accountant who ended up uh, being the CEO of a sort of medium sized company in uh, Berry. It was a family business, unfortunately, not our family business. Um, and yeah, we were comfortably off, lived in the countryside um, on the Lancashire-Yorkshire border. Um, and I was lucky enough to be sent to prep school in Yorkshire and then to Winchester. So it's kind of an interesting mix, I would say, you know, professional middle class this horrible English sort of descriptor um, and lots of mates in Lancashire, but then shipped off to school at eight and then shipped off to Winchester at 13. And yeah, um, so yes, if you look at my CV, it's uh, Winchester, Cambridge, JP Morgan, etc. but I don't necessarily feel uh, which I think is a good thing, part of the traditional English establishment and that yeah. geographical uh, distance was important, but not necessarily, um, I haven't thought about it too much, but it was, uh, it's just worth noting that I'm not a, a home counties, you know, public school boy by... Yeah. Yeah, family background. I think it's very interesting, actually, and, and I see a couple of connections which I want to just draw out. Um, firstly, what was the because I was at prep school in Yorkshire as well. What was the prep school in Yorkshire you were at? Aysgarth. Oh, Aysgarth, yes, and yeah. know, know it very well. And um, it's interesting that on this uh, inspiring leadership show, we've had some connections with Lancashire. Uh, I was obviously on the wrong side of the uh, Pennines in Yorkshire, but we had Joe Foster the founder yep. of Reebok. Uh, he was on, I interviewed him last week. Uh, and of course, Berry uh, was where the shoemakers were and his grandfather, who was the first shoemaker and built the first spikes. And then yep. obviously Joe's now 85, an amazing guy and, and very inspirational, watch his show. And then before that, we had Kevin Roberts who went to Lancashire Royal Grammar School and became yep. global CEO of such and such. He was great fun. Yep. And his, his mate, Brian Ashton, who I interviewed the other day, yes. uh, obviously the England rugby coach got the MBE. And again, Brian introduced me to the latest headmaster of Lancashire Royal uh, Grammar School, who's going to be on the series as well. So there's quite a Lancashire connection there, which is which is special. My, my father worked um, at a company called Crompton's, which was a, 
a, a paper mill in Bury. So, mm -hmm. yeah, these yeah. are, um, and I'm sure you'd agree that the Lancastrians have a better sense of humor than the their friends in Yorkshire. <laughs> That's right. Well, I, I was uh, Yorkshire and the, the ancestors came from Scotland. Uh, from Lanark, I think that said, said made us mean and canny. I think that combination right. is not not a good one. And humor <laughs> humor isn't one that we need. I need more humor in my well, life. There are exceptions. Yeah, I need more humor in my life. But it is interesting that sort of uh, that paper uh, Crompton's in 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 Lancashire. And my grandparents were uh, mill owners, and it was cotton and it was woolen mills yes. from the from the hills from the sheep and the. The, the tenter hooks that people get told that they're on tent hooks, they're all tight, where the wool was dried out and made it very tight. But it went bust twice, First World War and Second World War. And, and while the great uncle Henry had a, a, a Rolls Royce silver shadow, the money had been blown in Monte Carlo by the time it got to my family. We yeah. grew up in a caravan, so it was never quite that, that lucky. <laughs> but um, all those experiences, and particularly places like Winchester, uh, which is, a top school and your own son now is, is going there. Did you find there were certain mentoring or motivational uh, teachers or headmasters or people that you had or even JP Morgan or even at Cambridge that you went, those people were quite a role model for me and and it helped me or, or maybe, I don't know, yeah. they didn't help me. Maybe there's some that were not so good that you don't want to mention their names, but just that they, they set a bad example perhaps. No, it's a really, you can tell that I'm not particularly well prepared. I think there, there is, there are two people. Um, there was a really interesting teacher at Winchester um, who I'm embarrassed that I haven't kept in contact with, but he was very, very, probably in retrospect, really uh, very important. And I, I think I alluded to, I was kind of, it's a rather odd situation, you know, in, um, and I don't know whether any friends will see this, but um, in Lancashire, you know, I was considered to be very posh because I went down south and developed this accent. Um, I think I've always spoken like this, but I was so in in. And then when I, you know, down in Winchester in the south, I was from the north, and I said one rather than one. So I've always felt a little bit. At times in dark days, I found that a, perhaps a little bit difficult. Um, and at other times, I see it as a great blessing that I, I'm not pigeonholed into a particular... Yeah. Um, I don't feel pigeonholed into a particular section of this rather strange country's class system. Yeah, um, I, I, I completely relate to that. So. Growing up in a boarding school in York, um, but then having, uh, we ran out of money. So I went to a grammar school in Halifax, from yeah. all L or Halifax, the good Lord deliver us, because they yeah. all had gibbets and they would hang people for crimes. Yeah. Uh, they were the last ones to get rid of them. And there I was the posh kid. And when yeah. I went to the army, I was the posh kid. But when I was with the Scots Guards, they went, oh, he's from Halifax. Yeah, and, and and I had a brown suit from Burton's with pinstripes, yeah. and I thought I thought I was the bee's knees. It's very dark. Yeah, but when I got to the Scots Guards and they got the Savile Row grey yeah. woolen suits, they went, "No, no, my boy, you need to come here. Look, let's go to yeah. the, the Cypriot tailor here. He'll make you a proper suit." Yeah, exactly. And, and then and then you sort of wonder who you are. Yes. And, and, and I remember they said, "Oh, you should join the Scots Guards. You'd fit in round here." And I thought. My friend Eddie, he's got a castle and an estate and, and a grouse moors. I, I just got a small house in Halifax. Yeah. And, and no, look, I, I completely. We haven't had this discussion before, so this is um, wonderful. I that in my good days, I think it's wonderful, and I hope that my ability to get on with lots of different types of people, almost literally from lords and ladies to, um, you know. Uh, people in the canteen has I think that in ref in retrospect that has been a really great foundation but in darker days there is this slight feeling of sort of displacement which mm. Mm. Um, when a lot of health and I think a lot of well-being is based on strong foundation I had a wonderful parents couldn't wish for anything from them my dad's still around my mother unfortunately died 10 years ago but 
that is um, that's an interesting reference. But coming back to this well, just stay with it for a moment, and then we'll go yeah. on to the next one because I, I resonate with that. I know I told you my story that my father was killed when I was three, so I grew up with a mother and uh, two brothers, and they were all we were all under the age of nine. I was just two and a half when he was killed flying, and, and so I've always been a bit rudderless without a father figure. And I think when we're going to talk a little later on about mental health, you've done so much for mental health. When I've had mental health challenges and been close to suicide, it's often that unhinged, that, that lack of stability is there. And one of the interesting guys who's going to be on the show, Dawid, who will be speaking uh, in, a, in a few weeks' time, um, he's getting 10,000 black interns into the city, yeah. which is a fantastic achievement that he's doing. Father was Ghanaian, mother was English nurse, and, and they met doctor and nurse. But he goes into some of the toughest prisons and gets them to find their voice and speak about it. And to a man, they say their journey into crime was because their father wasn't around for them and they didn't yeah. have that, that platform. So it's, it, you raise a really powerful point. No, so my, my, my dad is still around. We speak every week. I try and see him as much as I can in normal times. So, but the, it was this, I, I, again, I, I think this displacement or at least the good thing is that I think that that, that combination of a solid upbringing, um, being exposed to opportunities um, and people that I wouldn't naturally have met in Lancashire um, has been a huge benefit. Yeah, no, I, I, it's great. And just for a moment, I, I, I passed through it quite quickly, but, but tell everybody listening who may not know about Lansdowne Partners, what Lansdowne Partners does and its sort of success, really, if you would, in just a, a minute or so. Yeah, so I, yeah, you were very kind. I had a, a great, enjoyable career at HSBC, did two or three really interesting jobs. And then I was uh, approached and asked to join Lansdowne um, in the summer and started in January. Uh, it's a wonderful company. It was founded by Sir Paul Ruddock. Um, and Stephen Hines joined shortly thereafter as the two founding partners in the late 90s, uh, became one of the most successful hedge funds, I think, in Europe, uh, equity focused, um, uh, and has had an extraordinary uh, history. Um, and I've been, um, as markets have evolved and businesses evolved, um, the founders retired um, six or seven years ago uh, Pete Davis, who is uh, the, this fabulous, uh, well-known and very modest fund manager, uh, was the managing partner for a few years. He wanted to focus all his energy on managing clients' money. Um, Susie Nutton, who is my co-managing partner, um, was employee number two in 1998. So Pete has moved to focus entirely on managing clients' money. Um, and I was very lucky to be asked to come in and join Susie as the, the co-managing partner. So I'm focused on strategy, clients, uh, uh, business development, um, risk. And um, although it's only three months, it feels like a very, um, it's a very liberating uh, opportunity. It's been yeah. a very liberating experience so far. And I think it's really exciting. I love working with strong brands and great people and, and working out how we can uh, grow. So yeah. that's, uh, that's longer than a minute. No, it's great, but I'm just so thrilled for you. You deserve that happiness and that, that good fit. And it, it's, you know, to be in a, a healthy culture where you can continue to enhance it and make it better so good luck with that let's um one of the things you do which i, I, oh, I have jonathan to... i'm sorry i'm so sorry to i i, I forgot I, we we moved on which was wonderful but from this teacher who oh yes me yeah tell me more tell me is more. that okay yes please so do. this um i won't mention his name but he had a fearsome reputation he was a uh a really he was called the bear everyone was terrified of him <laughs> And he was a wonderful history teacher and a wonderful um, medieval historian in his own right. He was probably more, I always thought that he should have been at an Oxbridge college. I mean, he was, but everyone was terrified of him. Um, 
and I was a pretty good sportsman. He and I played rackets. Um, and he taught me a lot about two things. One was about um, history and about how to write. There's always a danger, I think, with moderately intelligent people who think they're good at writing to make it very complicated. But he was all he said, use simple words, communicate simply, say what you think, don't try and embellish it. And I think that's something that taught me. And probably uh, some people may not like this, but he and I ignored this advice, but he he was preparing me for Oxbridge and we were you know, and he helped me enormously. Although I read e economics, I think I got in because of my history paper. Wow. wow. But what he told me, he said, please, please don't go and work in the city. <laughs> um, and he said, this sounds a little bit, he said, you're a little bit different from some of these characters. I think you have huge potential. You don't realize it don't just go and make money in the city. Then of course, I went to work at JP Morgan in um, 1987. So I ignored his career advice, but I've never forgotten his uh, guidance about being yourself. Well, I have forgotten it, but I've remembered it. Um, but he, he, this point about, um, being a little bit different and having confidence in yourself and making your own way in the world. Although I've followed a fairly conventional career on paper, uh, at my darkest moments, and you know there have been some, um, his, his, um, his voice I often kind of can hear, um, but he was an absolutely terrifying man. <laughs> <laughs> Fascinating, yeah. We we uh, I, I worked uh, for Phil Marshall, the Lord Inge. He was terrifying everybody, and people got he was when he was called General Sir Peter Inge. He was called being syringed, and yeah. uh, he'd, he'd shout at people at about a thousand yards who hadn't seen him and saluted him. But uh, any any Wickhamists from that era era will whether they were taught know the bear. bear or not, they will know exactly who I'm. Yeah, with. yeah, they will they will know. Um, now you've also talked about. Not, you've not just done the day job, you've done so many other things. One of the things I think is a great contribution you've made, and we don't need to go into the detail of it, but you, you had some, some tough times with mental health at one stage and have learned so much from that that you've been quite a role model in sharing your story with people um, and also helping the City Mental Health uh, Organization. Do you want to just say a little bit about what that organization does and your part in that? Yeah, so look, I think this is, um, this is I'm very, you're, you're right. So being, I won't dwell on and dwell on it unless you're interested. But yeah, I, I had a severe breakdown in two thousand and six when I was forty. I was hospitalised for two months in the Priory, and it was it was grim days indeed. Um, uh, that was a life changing moment for me. So I do think of my my life and my career and certainly my uh, happiness as sort of pre-breakdown and post-breakdown. I was very lucky to be hired by Stuart Gulliver and a man called Mike Powell, who hired me into a big job at HSBC six months after that experience. Um, so that... I, I, I owe them a huge amount in terms of backing me when many others wouldn't um, into a role. Um, and I remember very clearly, Mike asked me two questions. He said, um, this was six months later and I started work later that year. Um, he asked me, uh, can you do the job? And will you be okay? And I'm still in touch with Mike. I've just been on a text with him, you know, although he left HSBC shortly, he, he retired and has done amazing things subsequently. Um, those two questions, and I, I said to him, I remember I said, I, I can definitely do the job. 
but can I come back to you on will I be okay? Because um, I was still quite raw. This was in the summer of 2006. Um, and then I spoke to Sam, my wife. Um, I thought about it over the weekend and said, yeah, I, um, I, I can do the job and I'm confident I will be okay. Um, and um, I, I think Mike would say and Stuart would say that at the time they didn't have any particularly progressive views about mental health. And this was, you know, 2006 in the UK in the city, but they were very good. They, 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 they said that um, they wanted me to do the job. Uh, they would rather hire someone senior who's been through difficult times um, rather than, I won't use the exact words they use, but many people who, whilst appearing to be high performing, um, are struggling with all sorts of things. So, so that meant that over the following years, um, when asked to, I started getting involved in mentoring, I started getting involved in LGBT programs and uh, diversity initiatives. So it was perfectly natural for me to talk when asked about my own experiences, um, A, because I was feeling very strong uh, emotionally and, you know, psychologically also i thought it would help people um and through those revelations if you like a senior man in the city talking about their problems with mental health i got introduced to the wonderful organization which at the time was in its sort of early years the city mental health alliance and i was incredibly honored to be asked to be the vice chairman of the City Mental Health Alliance and then the chair in about two years ago. So I am very proud to be working with the amazing Poppy Jammon, who should be invited on your show soon, I think. Yeah, she will um, be. She is the CEO of the City Mental Health Alliance and um, they have been doing extraordinary things and you can imagine how relevant that has been um through the the last 18 months and uh, very topical at the moment you know mental health in the city yeah well i mean incredibly um topical and funny enough i'm just checking myself because i actually could have asked you more about it but i i sort of constrained myself because i thought brian might not want to share about this he might feel awkward talking about it probably but actually i'm just going to wipe that aside and go brian please share with us you know stories you've told publicly before that you feel comfortable sharing in in such a wide audience who'll be listening because uh, i've had mental health issues and i've had a number of my clients that i've supported who've been close to the brink where one of them very kindly his wife said to me later had he not talked to you that day he would be dead yep. i'm not trying to say I, i'm not a, a psychotherapist i'm just a leadership coach but actually I got him psychotherapy, CBT, and it saved his life. Uh, but, but I was able to do the saving of his life before then because he was at the point where he was going to top himself. And, and so many I've seen break themselves by carrying on as a senior partner in a firm or an MD or a CEO, not addressing any of the issues until a complete breakdown. Uh, and the only thing that one of them, could, yeah, yeah. And the only thing that one of these guys could do was just walk people's dogs for them, uh, having been such a big shot in the city. So please share. I think this is the most important part of, of what we're discussing, Brian. And you are a role model on mental health. So please, in whatever way, share your story unfiltered. Okay. Um, no. Um, so look, um, yeah, the the facts are as I describe them. Um, and um, looking back from the age of 10, looking back, didn't feel like this at the time because I described my background. Um, I, um, looking back, I was struggling. I was, um, the way it was, um, or the Looking back, I was scared, I was anxious, 
and I was, for whatever reason, I never, I never felt, um, not that I belonged, but I, I never felt good enough. Um, and I can assure you that I've had lots of, um, you know, uh, therapy, lots of discussions. Um, but then if then, it, and the way it was sort of, um, probably the way it actually drove me, those feelings drove me to succeed. You know, I was good at sport. I was captain of the football team. I was in the cricket team for three years. I did well enough in my exams and I got into Cambridge. So that feeling of not being good enough um, drove me to a lot of um, visible success. Um, then I went to university, started drinking a lot and partying a lot and found a bit of confidence. Um, I was quite shy. Uh, people now will laugh, but I was a very square, well-behaved, um, you know, head of house, captain of football, getting into Cambridge. I didn't smoke, I didn't drink, I was didn't get into trouble. I was very um, fearful. Then I went to university and, you know, things were fairly different. So I, I prefer not to go into a, many of those details, but I was, you know, um, loud, boisterous, um, apparently moderately amusing, um, had quite a few girlfriends. So it was quite a, it was quite a change. Um, and then I got into this city and was very lucky. I got a great job at JP Morgan. I was in right at the heart of the late 80s, 90s, you know, bond market. I was a good bond salesman, in fact, a very good bond salesman. And, um, you know, I was living fairly high on the hog. Uh, met Sam, thank God, at an early age. Lived with Sam for um, six or seven years, got married. Um, and that has been, that relationship has saved my life um, without any doubt at all. Um, but during those times, despite promotions and bonuses and weddings, and I was really beginning to struggle. I was drinking too much. I wasn't sleeping very well. And I gradually during my thirties collapsed and those people who haven't experienced it, it's difficult to describe. But for the last year or two before I finally collapsed, I was really in trouble. Uh, Sam knew, Sam was great, did everything she could. I went to see my doctor, I went on antidepressants, et cetera, et cetera. But, but that, that was the, those years were despite, you know, I was a function, I was functioning and I was doing well. I mean, I nearly, you know, I was talking to HSBC about this huge job that they gave me post breakdown, but I was functioning well enough to be talking to the next CEO of HSBC about this big job during this period of decline. Um, so that was, I'll pause there. That was the kind of period up to mm. the hospitalization. And I was, you know, I was almost literally carted out of the dealing room at Bank of America where I was working at the time. And a day later was, you know, on suicide watch in the Priory. So it was a very scary moment. Wow. Most scary thing wasn't actually, was how the hell was I actually managing to function up until the moment that I was then on suicide watch um, in um, March 2006, um, yeah. Yeah, it is interesting that you, and Brian, thank you for being so just uh, genuinely authentic as, as I know you are and have, have always admired you for that. I, I, I just wonder, uh, and the City Mental Health Alliance will probably come across this, that just how many people I've come across who are either functioning alcoholics or functioning drug addicts or functioning uh, manic depressives, uh, and they seem to be okay. 
but it's just it's, it's just like skating on thin ice and at any stage they'll plunge through the ice into the freezing water which could either kill them or if someone rescues them what's well, that, your, well, your thought i would say that my my wife my wife rescued me and an amazing doctor who i met in the priory and that's when the rest of my life started yeah 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 and tell us about sam because she sounds like she's an inspiring leader in her own rights i mean tell me tell me what makes her special your wife well goodness me i mean uh, everything i mean she we we met um she's four years younger than me we met when i was 25 she was 21 we were introduced by a mutual friend uh we had a huge amount of fun together in our youth um and I don't think she'd mind me saying that, but I, the woman, the, the girl I fell in love with was very, um, I, I didn't, I didn't, goodness me, I've never really spoken about this in public. Um, uh, we, we just got on unbelievably well in, in our twenties and thirties, started living together. Uh, then we had kids and and everything has sort of developed from that. But she will be horrified that I'm talking about <laughs> um, in in this. But she's been great. She had her own successful career. We had two kids. But bluntly, you know, um, she was still working when I was hospitalized. The kids were one and three. And she uh had to take time off from Merrill Lynch to look after the family because her husband was in the Priory um she went back to work shortly thereafter once I'd got up and running and I think she felt that I was in a good place um she uh left the city and has been a full-time mum and much more um for the last uh 12 years yeah special lady special lady and, and this is the same in so many relationships i come across uh in in a partnership whether it's same sex or different sex whatever it is that that they each bring something different to the other and there's a great strength in the relationship um i unfortunately had a first marriage which didn't work out i've learned a lot from that but now in being married to lee i found in her my soulmate and yeah. she brings things i haven't got and hopefully i bring things that she hasn't got and I, I think people skirt over acknowledging their life partner when actually it's nothing to to be ashamed of and quite the opposite they're never given much shout out and i think it's quite nice that you did give the shout out there for sam i'll be very honest i i fell in love with her she's beautiful and fun and dynamic i i didn't at the time i can assure you in 1992 or three i wasn't thinking in terms of a life partner but that i was incredibly lucky yeah that um that we fell in love and i'm incredibly lucky for everything that she's done for me and the the um our family yeah and i'm sure your son and your daughter will be learning a lot from both of you as role models just as we look back to who shaped I you i can't believe either of them think that i'm a role model like <sighs> sure. but um, maybe but um that's no but but but, but just it's your it's, it's your openness i think it's your openness about when you do get it wrong because i think what worries me is when you say to people when was the last time you personally got something wrong and some senior leader says to me mm, oh was it 1974 I, I really can't think of any time. Mine was about an hour and a half ago, I can assure yeah, you. Yeah, well, there you are. My, 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 I can assure you that my, I don't see myself as a role model in my family. I see myself as a possibly a moderately amusing sort of figure and the butt of most family jokes. Yeah, well, that's, it's in a nice way. Humour is very important. So if you went back to the equivalent of your son, who's now at Winchester, and you met Brian at that age, knowing that what you've gone through, your time in the Priory, uh, very successful career at HSBC, now the co-head of Lansdowne Partners, openly able to be strong enough to be vulnerable, which many leaders aren't, to, to give courage to others, like Prince Harry and William have been telling their stories to give courage to others. So I do so admire you for doing that. It is the right time to do it. There was a time when people thought, no, 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 it's too much vulnerability. Now only the strong can be vulnerable. Um, 
What bit of advice would you give to your 16 or 18 year old Brian, knowing what you know now? I, I would, I would tell him to be a lot braver and to ask for help. I only really started, I didn't really, to be honest, everyone is very, you're being very kind, people have been very kind. And um, I, I will take some credit for how I have responded to the situation I found myself in. But I would tell my 16 year old self to be a lot braver and to ask for help. I didn't ask for help. I asked for help a lot now, but I didn't really ask for help um, until I was 40 and onwards. I, I pretended, I tried to be strong. I didn't want to bother people. I was scared. I didn't ask Sam for help. I didn't, uh, she gave me a lot of help, but I didn't ask for it. I didn't ask my, I. I bullshitted my family doctor and I was um that would be the a very strong message to courage in general to be braver yeah. about many things but also to ask for help no very very good and also you raised a very interesting point at that, that Cambridge part of your life uh with a daughter who went to Cambridge um even though she did well she came out with a I think they call it a triple first, but you know, she, every year she got a first. And the other daughter who went to Bristol and she got a first, but they both found at times their own mental health was challenged, not to the point of, of breakdown, but, but they were doubting themselves because they were with other highly capable people. And a lot of their peers had moments of mental health problems, but I don't think enough's being done in university or indeed at school for them to, to ask for help and to, to have people role model and talk about the problems they had. So it's, it's okay to talk about this kind of thing. What's, what's your thoughts? No, I, I think that, um, look, I think that being very open, um, it's only been in the last four or five years in this country that people have really started talking about this. I mean, 10 years ago in the UK, on the public stage, there was probably Alistair Campbell, Ruby Wax, Stephen Fry, no one in the city, no one in government that I'm aware of, no one in sport, no one in general was talking about, not their own mental health, well, talking about their own experiences, but were being vulnerable that way. So huge progress has been made. So. I think it's just across the whole that just and it's worked globally. I think just in general, um, no one has been talking about mental health uh, until very recently. Um, so whether it's in families, in schools, in universities, in the workplace, which is where the City Mental Health Alliance is particularly focused in um, retirement homes, it just hasn't been focused on. And um, is. that is therefore, you know, um, a, a workplace reflects society in which it operates. There's no point, you know, a workplace talking about mental health if nowhere else in society is discussing. So I, I think it starts in the family. I think yeah. it's, it starts at home. You're so right. And uh, one of the people that you mentioned uh, I was lucky enough to be their coach. I won't say which one, it's not fair. But I actually encouraged them to start talking publicly about their mental health problems some 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and a couple of other CEOs uh, who were hiding their sexual orientation, I also got them to come out. And yeah. people were relieved when they told them. They said, well, we knew. Why didn't you say? Why, why did you pretend you had a partner of the opposite sex? It really didn't bother us. We're not bothered. But yet it would have been unsafe for them to do that. I remember in the army years ago, people couldn't come out about it. Now, now it's, it's much healthier, but, but it is, a, it is a, a progress. So, Brian, thank you for that. that. That in itself, we could probably end the show there, but we've got a, a whole 20 minutes. So I'd just like to pop through a few other questions, if that's all right. Are you okay so far, time-wise? The last um, point I'd make, is, if I may just continue. So I just want to... that. The best piece of advice I was given, I remember very clearly, um, and this may be set up the rest of the conversation, that 
when I was in my darkest days there, uh, my wonderful psychiatrist said to me, you are very ill, but if I told you that you had cancer and if you do the things that I say, not only will you recover from cancer, your life will be completely different. I, that, even in my darkest day, that, that, that piece of advice, which is, if you do what I say, and that was don't drink, take your antidepressants, go to therapy, get fit, get your life in order, not only will you recover, so I don't like the word recovery, my experience wasn't recovering, getting back to where you, before you were in hospital, that that is the one message I like to get across, which is, if you take this stuff seriously, not only will you, um, not only will you get better, but your experience of life will be completely different. And only if people, the experience of the, my experience of life um, is getting better and better. And it's been a hard road at times, but that is, it's not a matter of recovery and getting back. I didn't want to get back to where I was when I was 35, because despite, mm. I, I was miserable. I was anxiety, had anxiety and depression. So that, that I think, so therefore the experience, my life since then, my professional life, my personal life, every aspect of my life, it's difficult to describe. The, 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 the act of living on a daily basis is 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 incredibly um, wonderful, and it's very difficult for people who haven't been through these experiences to perhaps realise how stark that difference is. Yeah, yeah, I, I cannot agree more. Thank you. Uh, that's really going to stay with me for my own um, battle with it. I, I found ways. I have the, the daily um, stoic is one of my great uh, uh, pillars of, of, of strength in, in being mentally healthy. Um, I also do mindfulness. I've been doing 90 days of it straight. I'm on 20 minutes a day. Uh, yeah. And, and, and the, the habit stacking of listen to daily stoic, 20 minutes of mindfulness, looking out over a nice view, yeah. either 30 minutes of yoga or 30 minutes of hit training with weights, and then a walk with the dog with my wife, and then beginning the day, yeah. that's the bookend in the morning that sets me up and helps me at night writing a journal, both beginning and end of the day to sleep better. I still wake up a lot during the night and worry about things, but I can write things down and then go back to sleep. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I found that more powerful than the therapy. Yeah. And I found I've moved on, but I, I am conscious that I'm still skating on ice yeah. Um, with other situations that are I going on. People are. This is the sort of dirty secret as you talk about it, but those habits to my routines are different, but it's similar. And the last point I make is that my experience has been no one should ever underestimate the importance of sleep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that I, at my worst, I was sleeping for one or two hours a day, All right. a night, and normally drunk. And without sleep i think sleep is the thing that and i still find sleeping difficult but doing all these things that the, the restorative power of of sleep of good sleep is 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 vastly underestimated yeah and and that takes me back to my days in the military when uh, i was in an electronic warfare regiment we were described as prone to capture along with special forces because the the russians in those days it still is the russians but we just pretend we're not at war with them um they would, if they would capture us, we would be interrogated and we knew an awful lot of things that they, about the electronic warfare and what we knew about them that they wanted to know. So we would go through interrogation training, which included sleep deprivation yep. uh, of the st style that they do at Goldman Sachs as part of their training. Uh, they just call it internship, but um, now I'm teasing them slightly, but I'm not really, because that level of sleep that people had consistently and the pressure that they're under, you cannot function. Yep. You are literally drunk even if you're not drinking um, and, and you sh you're not safe to be driving a vehicle. Uh, so I, I can't agree with you more. Sleep has, for me, been something I'm constantly working on and, and, and it's something that you can never ever do. And I, in fact, every day did it today. I have a 20 minutes power nap around about one o'clock. It, it's a godsend. Have you ever tried it yourself? Well, I 
I'm only laughing. I haven't tried it yet at Lansdowne, but I might. But at the weekends, I often pretend that I'm going upstairs to do a little bit of work. I'm, unfortunately, my 20 minute power naps can often turn into a two hour snooze. Yeah. The family will come and check on how my working is going. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I make it official now. My wife knows. Um, I go upstairs. In fact, my, my dog Archie, who's down at my feet, the cocker spaniel, he comes up, he goes, Master's going to the bedroom. He just jumps on the bed, lies beside me on, on the rug on the bed. I, I put the headphones on, the eye patch on, 20 minutes, the alarm goes off, and I'm back good, good as new. Um, there's so much we can chat about, Brian, and I, I think I'll just, I'll just very quickly pop through, and maybe you could share, as we go around the Inspiring Leadership Compass of what makes high-performing leaders like you in different teams, what, what sort of perhaps a tip, a practical tip you give to each, even in a sentence or two. Um, so let, let's go moral quotient you know, your values, your foundational values, what would be a, a sound bit of wisdom you'd give on, on values and things you aspire to live by? Yeah, I, I get uncomfortable with kind of giving the impression that I'm some sort of oracle speaking, but um, I try and be honest. So I, I, I never lie. Well, I try not, I don't, I try not to lie. Um, but I think being honest is more than that. I, I try and be, I try on a fairly, um, in a fairly rigorous way to do what I've committed to, 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 to honest in its broadest sense. And I think it's more, as I think about this, it's more sort of proactive honesty. It's more than just not lying. You know, I, 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 I'm not bad at business and I'm able to, you know, present and sell. I try not to lie. I try and behave in a way that at the end of the day, when I look back, I will have had moments where I fell down, but yeah. I try and consciously uh, remember them. I think, I don't know if this is a thing, but proactive honesty, i.e. I know I kind of ducked that conversation or in that feedback session, I ducked the difficult thing. At the end of every day, I try and look back on things that I was, I don't think, I hope I'm ne I never lie. I don't think I'm dishonest, but I there's something about being proactive and just, you know, that conversation yesterday, I should have said that I really thought that piece of work was pretty disappointing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, so I'm not quite sure what that no, is. No, I, I think that's really good. And also I'm reminded, you use the word try a lot, and, and that's something I aspire to take out of my lexicon, back to your old teacher with keeping everything as simple as possible. Uh, it's old Yoda with Luke in Skywalker in Star Wars. Luke, there is no try. There is either do or don't do. And yeah. I, either, I either aim, and, and I let myself down. Uh, but I aim to learn from it and either say I will or say I won't. But, but I, I, I avoid where I can say I'll try and be on time because I know I'm actually planning to be late anyway. Yeah. Thank, thank you. That was, that just, so that, that would be, I think that's right. And we, you and I have had this conversation in a different forum, which is, yes, I think try is a sort of little bit of a sort of English kind of um, you know, euphemism. I, I agree with you. I think it's fairly binary. And that I do just want to refer back to this point, which is um, um, the best piece of advice is just to ask for help. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, great advice. Yeah. And then I'm just writing that down because I think it's so good. Um, PQ is like meaning and purpose. What, what gives, particularly now, what gives your life meaning and purpose? Why do you do what you do? Um, I mean, it comes back to the experience that we've heard. I, I want to, and I've thought about this a lot, whether it's professionally, personally, how I'm living my life, I feel that I've been given a second chance, or maybe I've given myself a second chance. I want to, I want to, um, I want to try and fulfill whatever potential I have. Yeah. I don't want to look back at the end of my life and think, I don't want to have 
regret. So whatever, I don't know whether that is mm. the answer to the question or an answer to the question, but I, that's how I think professionally, personally, I, I, I think whatever potential I have got, I feel I was given a second chance in 2006. And that's what gives me purpose. Yeah. Yeah, it was Mark. I, I love that. And that's Mark Twain who said there's two most important days in your life, the day you were born and the day you found out why. And maybe you had that horrendous experience in order to to really help others and, and also be given that give yourself that second chance um, and to, to to really find your strength through through vulnerability. Thank you for that, Brian. Health is the next one going round the Inspiring Leadership Campus, health quotient. We've talked a lot about mental health and you've touched briefly on physical health, but what bit of practical tips would you give about the combination of mental and physical health and how important yeah. they are? I've they, thought a lot about work. this, City Mental Health Alliance. I mean, my experience for what it's worth is that mental, physical, emotional, psychological health are all interconnected. So um, sleep is, I don't drink, that is, um, that has helped enormously. But I think that in terms of, I try and keep balance. Um, but I, I can assure you, I am, you know, I, I've given up smoking three times already this year, and will probably have to give up again this weekend so it's a str i'm not trying to live a virtuous monk-like existence um you know i've given up drink um i exercise better i eat less i do meditate i go on my peloton um i have a huge tendency to addiction and obsession so i'm actually trying to do all things in moderation other than drinking which i can't drink yeah um, but i'm i can assure you that it's it's um uh yeah i think that's a good description yeah. it's yeah. sort of balance but i'm you know um i'm not going to kill i'm not going to i'm not going to get really upset with myself if at you know one o'clock in the morning when all my friends are fairly pissed i have a couple of more lights um yeah. i'm trying to get sort of balance yeah yeah lovely thank you for that story and then then the next two are eq and cq emotional and social intelligence and cultural intelligence quotient um which is about diversity equality and inclusion which you've championed so much let's talk about the eq what would be a a, a short tip of advice about listening well, building rapport with people, understanding others. What, what would be your, your wisdom there? Yeah. Um, I have to get much better at listening. I think my, I, my, all the tests I've done and all the Myers-Briggs stuff and similar stuff, you know, I am a, I am a people person. I'm an extrovert. And I am a, in the commercial life, one of the things that I've always been considered to be is a great salesman, which really pisses me off because I've run businesses and I, you know, um, but EQ, I'm not bad. I'm, I'm, a, I'm good with people, but I'm a bad listener um, because I like talking. So I think that that's something that I am very conscious of getting better at but from a pretty low base well then i think back to the bear who wanted you to have the the simplest of language maybe he could say less is more on the speaking i don't know it'd be quite fun if we had the bear there um so that goes on to the environment the cultural intelligence quotient uh, and as you were saying you really were championing very early on before it was uh seen as more acceptable it was a bit awkward when people talked about it lbgtq um, and also this, this idea of different cultures and people who are different from you and moving from culture to culture with ease. What, um, what advice would you give in this one, in your experience? I think it's about, this is old fashioned language, you know, authenticity, good manners. Um, I've just suddenly thought about this actually today that I haven't heard the word manners used for a very long time, but mm. 
I think my experience at HSBC was really helpful in this topic. Um, and this is a longer conversation, Jonathan, which I'd, I'd love to have with you in private or public, but um, two, 10 years ago, everyone was talking about diversity, incredibly important, but it was largely focused on gender. Then everyone was focusing on LGBT, quite rightly. But I think it's a bigger thing. Now people are, thank God, beginning to talk about mental. These are not individual things. This is, we are, this is the whole person. So I think there's a lot more that we should, let's, let's have difficult conversations about class. Let's have a difficult conversations about, you know, religion, background, upbringing. Um, we want to promote diverse workforce. We want to, but I think language isn't really important. You know, diversity is a lot more than just gender equality. And it's wonderful the progress that has been made. Um, I think mental health is a terrible word. You know, I think mental is a terrible word. I think it's mm -hmm. wellness is not great either, but better. I think it's about the the whole person and treating people with respect whatever all these different things are i think the conversations that need to be having in the uk about class um and about background and about things that aren't yet on the radar in a traditional you know, we're, we're getting better at gender we're getting better at um uh sexuality we're getting better at health but there's much I don't consider my I consider myself to be a, a combination of hundreds of things, not just one or two things: age, background, religion, sexuality, interests. Mm. Everyone wants to pigeonhole you in companies. This is what Poppy and the City Mental Health are doing. I, I think we just need to use these opportunities to to really be bold. Um, and so that's how I kind of think about that and. Maybe manners is an old-fashioned expression, but you know, I reckon that I, I, I think I can tell pretty much now when people are genuine, and there's nothing worse than a senior leader talking the talk when you know it's bullshit. And I yeah. think that is being. I think we really need to hold ourselves accountable, and you probably can. I think I can, but uh, you can smell bullshit a mile off. Yeah. Um, and I can tell whether it's PR departments or CEOs doing things to get it off their to-do list. It, it's not a risk mitigant. It is a way of life and a way of behavior. And there are some wonderful leaders there, but there's a lot of bullshit still out there. And that brings me on to probably the last couple of questions. I want to talk about teams and then I want to talk about uh, your top tip. We'll end with your top tip. Um, I, I come across toxic teams often because there's a toxic leader uh, in their behavior, the, the, the bullshit we were talking about before, or somebody in the team who just eats out the inside of the team. Um, what's been your experience about how to turn around a toxic team and also what makes a high-performing team, just in a couple of essences of, of both those areas. It sounds either obvious or it sounds brutal, but you have to remove the toxic person. You know, if the CEO is toxic, the board has to remove him or her. If the senior executives are toxic, I've had this conversation with, with many leaders, um, you've got to make the call and you've got to make the call based on behavior, not on performance or revenue or whatever. And I've seen it done, but I've seen it done very, very rarely. Mm. Yeah, uh, I, 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 you I get to, it. You, you have to make that call and you have to stand behind it. Even if you, you know, it, it's a gut. And I, I, I've never seen a team work when the leader is toxic or when influential members of the team are toxic. But it's a difficult thing to do. Um, 
it's a difficult thing to do because um, they're off these toxic people are often charming. Yeah. They're top performers. They're often very, very bright. But my experience, particularly um, 15 years ago, is that um, you just have to make the call. But I've seen very few people do it. Yeah. And I've got just such a situation where a chairman's ducking, getting rid of a toxic CEO just doesn't want to take the difficult decision and keeps it's it that level. It's at every level. It's yeah. at every level. Um, it is. And, it is. Um, now, then you've got to define toxic. I'm, I'm talking, but, but you can't, you can't, um, I don't think you can, most people will argue that great leaders, I've seen great leaders um, fudge this because it's too difficult. Yeah. I don't, they're, they're not lacking courage but they can be persuaded or they can persuade themselves that the commercial the the client relationships or the the incredibly strong trader or the critical finance director you know honestly yeah no very true and i've right. done it myself i've done it myself I've yeah done. no and and and, and i and i've done it too where I, I ducked it. And someone once said to me, what is it you know now about this person that you'll find out in 12 months time? And I went, they've got to go. He said, well, why are you waiting 12 months? You know, you've got to be, be firm in the decision, be kind in the execution in how you exit them with good grace and let them go with some dignity, but you've got to act. And people- I'm a huge, I, I, I maybe I'm an example. I've seen people change their lives but you've got to make a judgment about the, the essence of the person. A good person who's behaving badly can be improved. Yeah. Um, a, um, a, uh, a disappointing performer can become a top performer. But in my experience, and there are more of these people around than we would like to think, a toxic person, a bad apple, I, I've never seen a bad person become a good person. No, no narcissists don't stop becoming narcissists overnight. With uh, as, 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 maybe, maybe you are able to turn them around, but I, I doubt no, it. No, no, I've chosen not to work with them. I've chosen not to work with them. And, uh, or in one case I was fired by one uh, because I produced some 360 that they didn't like anybody else knowing what was said about them. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I now steer a wide course. As someone once said to me, if you're working for a narcissist, emigrate to avoid them. You know, I mean, literally get away. You won't change them. They're, they're charming and they're and they're always promising that they're going to change. They never do. So from that, um, let's have your your final top tip. And if you just introduce yourself again, Brian, because this is a standalone piece of work as well. Just uh, introduce yourself and um, where you work and what your top tip would be and a little bit of an explanation. That would be fantastic. Hello, my name is Brian Hayworth. I am the co-managing partner of Lansdowne Partners. And my top tip for Jonathan's delectation is ask for help. In my experience, um, however good you are and however good you think you are, you can be so much better with the getting advice from whether it's your friends, your family, your colleagues, your board, your superiors, your superiors organizationally. So it, if you think about it logically and you think about it uh, commercially, it's very obvious, but very few people do it. And I don't do it enough because in leadership roles, there's all sorts of, uh, reasons why you don't think it, but the best professional experiences I've had and the best personal experiences I've had are when I've been brave enough to ask for help. Brilliant. Brian, thank you very much for being on the series and, and for the candor, the authenticity. Stay on the line. We'll, we'll carry on chatting when we finish recording. But I'm just incredibly grateful to you and I know you will touch the lives of many people around the world who listen to this. So thank you. Thank you very much, Jonathan. It's been a pleasure. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? 
If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.